Hi, my name is Sarah Rachel Brown. I'm a 30-something-year-old woman, and I live in Philadelphia. I'm a contemporary jeweler. And like many others, I am an artist trying to make a living. On this podcast, I'm going to broach the subject of value. I'll be talking to studio artists and performers, educators and administrators, and anyone else attempting to combine their creative endeavors with how they get a paycheck. Listeners, I have updates for you. I want to keep you all posted on how I'm navigating my own big change as I become a full-time freelancer. And I struggled on how to share my progress because so much is going well, of course. But as of late, it just feels like one thing after the other is going wrong. And as your host, if I were to only share accomplishments and tell you, oh, I quit my job and everything's working out as I hoped, this podcast wouldn't function as a teaching tool I want it to be. So allow me to share the good and also the not so great. I'm about four months into living into Florida, and I feel the fact that I'm just here and doing this is a great feat in and of itself. The flexibility of my schedule has completely shifted the way I think about my work-life balance in the best possible way. I don't have health insurance. I screwed up there. I noted the wrong deadline for my special enrollment period for the Affordable Care Act. Those non-Americans listening, that's our public health insurance option. It's not free. In fact, it's expensive, and you only get to enroll during one period a year, except for special circumstances like leaving your job. Then you get a 60-day window, which I missed. So I'm just rolling the dice until November rolls around, and I'm staying off of skateboards, driving as carefully as possible, etc., My consulting job in Florida is going great, better than expected, and financially, I'm feeling the best I've felt in so long. I'm putting aside 25% for taxes, as my accountant told me to do, and I'm trying my hardest to save 30% of what I'm paying myself, and I have been showing up for me and the podcast in ways that I have not since before the pandemic. I think that definitely speaks to how I'm healing from some major burnout. Now, with major change, I knew challenges and setbacks are going to happen. And I also knew at some point I'd get really homesick, and that time has arrived. I'm living in an idyllic location. Whew, see, I can't even talk about being homesick without getting emotional. Ugh. I'm living in this idyllic location, but as someone who has lived in a handful of stunning locations, I know that a beautiful surrounding cannot distract from a lack of intimacy. And this is not a black and white issue. Of course, I've met some incredible people here. I'm making friends. But intimacy takes time to develop, and you just can't rush it. So I've been reaching out to my close friends, having some Zoom dates. Feels kind of like I'm back in the pandemic, actually. I sent my therapist an email I'm working on it. One of my gigs ended. This is 
probably my first like real freelancer experience where you think you have a paycheck and then you just don't. It's been a really good work experience and the client is amazing. She thinks I've done really great work. She just needs to reevaluate her expenses at this time and I get that. Other curveballs have been losing a subletter. Water leaks in my Philadelphia apartment. Love that. And the threat of losing that lease. And the fuel line in my car rusted through and is leaking gas. So that stranded me 77 miles from my temporary home here in Florida. I cried, called some people I trust to get some advice, and then coughed up the thousand bucks for the repair and rented a car to get me home. So that's the update. I knew this big transition would be challenging, and it certainly is. But you know what? I am still so happy to be doing this, and there are new opportunities on the horizon. I don't have a signed contract, so I don't think anything's really happening until I have a contract. But there are things happening, and when I can disclose those, I will let you know. I'm happy. I'm taking this risk for myself. And if you're listening and you're scared to make a big change, I truly hope this season is helping you feel empowered to do so. And you can always reach out to me, slide into my DM, send me an email. I'm happy to commiserate together. Shout out to Andy and Emily for becoming my patrons on Patreon this past week. Listeners, help me reach 100 patrons this season. Visit patreon.com slash perceived value to sign up. whatever you can spare each month really matters. Link is in the description of the podcast. Find me your host at Sarah Rachel Brown and find the podcast at Perceived Value. A lot goes down on social media you don't want to miss out. Today's interview, listening back, got me feeling all sorts of feelings. I recorded this conversation mid-May in Philadelphia while I was still basking in the glow of my recent resignation. Today's guest is a Philly-based creative whose jewelry brand I'd come to follow on social media and then soon discovered that we had a few common friends. Over time, I learned bits and pieces of her story. I knew she had had a successful career in the apparel industry and in recent years had made a big professional pivot and started her contemporary jewelry brand, Feast, which features upcycled vintage and dead stock materials. I had the pleasure of meeting Adrian Mano right before the pandemic hit, and I thought to myself, I would totally be friends with that girl. But that was about it. The pandemic, of course, happened, and we never really got around to making a deeper connection. That is, until I ran into her at an event and asked for this interview. Congrats to Feast Jewelry for winning Philadelphia Magazine's 2021 Best of Philly Best Jewelry Award. That's a big deal. So, please welcome today's guest, Adrian Mano of Feast. Okay, great. Mm, does that sound okay? Sounds good to me. Why does mine have like a red noise on it? Oh, it's because I'm the one talking. Um, Adrian Mano. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. So I have been aware of your jewelry for quite a while. And for the longest time, I, um, just referred to you as feast because your name is not on your Instagram. 
and I only followed Feast Jewelry, and I never took the time to like delve into your website to figure out where your name was. Yeah, that's a thing. It's not on there. You have to really figure it out yourself, I guess. Yeah, is that intentional, or are you just like haven't really put much thought into that? Um, yeah. I mean, I I guess I should get around to just putting it on there, but you know, bios are easy to uh, edit, but it's it's still not on there. So or, or maybe not. I think I just want to be a little bit mysterious. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not, not sure. Go with that. I did tag my private account, which is private. So. Oh. But that doesn't give you any help because my name isn't there as well. Your name is not there as well, actually, which is also funny because I did try that. I was like, oh, I'm friends with their like, personal account, too. How did you come up with the name Feast? So Feast is my favorite word in the English language. Mm, good um, choice. Yeah, and I actually had a small brand that I started in my early 20s, right out of college, um, called Feast, and it was yeah. apparel. It was just handmade apparel mm-hmm. that I, you know, would upcycle vintage and dead stock, and that was kind of the origin of that. And I had that brand, that little baby brand, for like four or five years, and sold it um, in Philly at a couple shops that uh, no longer exist, but Mm. then also was doing, you know, a few shows, like pop-up shows, and and then kind of lost the energy for that, kind of in the late aughts, and then revived that brand through, you know, in jewelry, and the name as well. And there it is. So I'm sitting here with Adrian Mano. I did it right this time, right? You did it perfect. Thank you. And... Someone who I found on Instagram and have been following for a while, and I have bought your jewelry and seen you around. You do a ton of, I mean, you just hustle. I feel like you do pop-ups around the city all the time. Um, And I met you, oh my gosh, I met you at my last like public event before the shutdown happened. It was at Barry O'Neill's opening for their new location, and you were there. Yeah, and was that before or after the Lobo Mao pop-up that I did. Oh, that was definitely before because okay. the Lobo Mao pop-up you did was like during, after the worst part of the pandemic when people are like vaccinated and stuff. Um, but at that point, when I met you at the Barrio O'Neill, that's when I started like really following you. And I remember my friend and associate there was like, oh, that's Adrian. Like you should talk to her. She's really cool. She used to do apparel design and then totally changed careers and does feast jewelry and blah, blah, blah. So I've always been really interested in about your story. Yeah. And I definitely introduced myself and I was fangirling a little bit because I had <laughs> been listening to Perceived Value through the pandemic because I do listen to a lot of podcasts while I work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, don't know how I figured out, you know, to listen to you but I had heard of you and I was like oh I know that's her love that my marketing is not on point but (laughs) love that you found me (laughs) yay Um, so I'm really excited because I with season five of perceived value what I've been thinking about my theme of this season which is not something I've done before with perceived value in the past which I was like I quit my job and I'm kind of changing my life and I think a lot of people during the pandemic is been going through this something called the like great resignation guess what y'all I jumped on that and part of the great resignation um and so I was thinking about guests to have on the podcast that I could 
talk to and relate to in terms of big transitions, either in careers and personal life and et cetera. And that's all really intertwined. Um, and I thought of you. And I'm honored, actually. Oh, <laughs> thank you. I know I saw you at an opening at the new Clay Studio, and I was like, do you want to be on my podcast? I was like, mm, maybe I shouldn't just like approach people in public spaces. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, it felt it felt exciting. And I, I really do feel like this is a special thing. And I'd Aww. love to you know, share some stuff and and have this conversation with you, so. Thank you. So we're going to focus our conversation around the fact that you did have this career trajectory for years um, and got pretty far along with it and then had a big change in it and kind of adapted and pivoted in a very different direction. Um, I'm excited to get to the nitty gritty of that. But before we do, can you give listeners insight into um, where you grew up? And can you give a little details about where you went to school um, and what you studied in school? Yeah, sure. So I'm from Westchester, New York, which is, you know, suburbs north of New York City. Um, So growing up, New York was my city. And would pop down on the train and like hang out in the city. Oh, cool. And you know, it felt huge, but it also felt like kind of the backyard in a way, you know, it felt yeah. close to home. So when I was looking for schools to go off to um, to college, I, you know, was looking at, you know, FIT and Parsons cause I, I wanted to study fashion mm-hmm. and it felt kind of too close. It felt like I wanted to go away and become independent and kind of like figure life out somewhere else. And so Philly was definitely on my radar and checked it out, you know, at the time was like 1998. It was very gritty, very Mm -hmm. old school Philly, which is what I fell in love with. And so I decided to go to school and moved to Philly here in 99 from New York and, uh, you know, went to Drexel, studied fashion design, mm. and that was a four-year program, and didn't really have time to explore the city much, because it was very overwhelming, and yeah. all, you know, took all of my time um, through that program. It was it was very intense. Um, I didn't know how to sew, actually, so I really learned. Oh. So yeah. you're like, I want to be a fashion designer, and you really didn't have any, like, ground skills for it. You just kind of went to college and were like, all right, step one. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I had yeah. a background in art. I had a pretty good art program in my high school. Yeah. Um, I took a couple of great photography classes, which I didn't realize were so great until I took photography in college. And I was like, oh, wow, I kind of already had a lot of these skills um, oh. and did a lot of illustration, a lot of painting and kind of studied fine art also in high school. Oh, OK. So had a little bit of those skills of, you know, the art world. Um, And then I think what really led me towards fashion or kind of got me on that path was just, um, you know, making making my looks like unique and and thrift shopping. So I had been doing that forever since like early, you know, junior high and would go down to visit grandparents who were snowbirds in Florida and like hunt and find things for like 10 cents and Mm -hmm. Um, you know, really had that lifestyle of like every day I'd kind of have a unique outfit and definitely got into the jewelry part of that too in high school where I'd just kind of make things to wear each day, you know, kind of craft something just that I wanted to 
where you know that felt yeah. like right for that day I love that. Also, I also I just got a comment on this because you're like, you know, there's FIT and Parsons, but I didn't want to stay there as my backyard. That's wild because most people, you know, I was in Iowa and I had the same idea. It's like, I want to get away from home. But in my mind, I could never fathom that if somebody's backyard was New York City, that they would also want to get away from that. Um, that perspective is so interesting to me. Um, did you have to pay for your own schooling? Did that factor into how you had to choose school? So, no, I was very lucky that my parents had been saving. Um, both my parents are teachers and, mm-hmm. you know, very middle class, not at all like the rest of Westchester. Yeah. Um, but definitely learned, you know, growing up really learned like that saving was important. Yeah. And... I was, you know, I'm very grateful that they actually did save for my education. And they were like, you know what, if you keep this like here range of GPA, we're going to keep continuing to pay for it. So I I definitely had like, you know, a reason to kind of keep my work ethic up. But I was able to come out of that without, you know, a ton of student loans. I also did apply and got a lot of scholarships to kind of offset that, too. Yeah. Love that. Um, also, as like a fellow high school, middle school thrifter, I can't claim that I was just naturally that person because my best friend Brittany was definitely that person and got me into it. And she was definitely somebody that would make her own clothes, own jewelry. I wasn't that cool. She always uh, influenced me. But do you have, I have like two pieces that I thrifted in high school that I will never get away give up it's like a vintage argyle cardigan that through the years either fits me or doesn't it always fluctuates (laughs) do you have any pieces like that that you just cannot get rid of yeah i mean i have a whole separate room in my house that's just like stuff i can't get rid of and you know things maybe from high school but mostly from probably you know the college era and even early 20s that you know i just have collected and you know, one day I'll lose that, you know, 15 pounds and be able to fit into it again. But they're so special and they're so meaningful and I'm really yeah. tied to them emotionally. So yeah, yeah, there there's a lot of those pieces in my collection, I think, oh, for sure. I feel you so hard. I've had a really stressful couple of months because I had surgery and then of course, have been going through like quitting my job and your body, that puts a lot of trauma in your body. I've gained like 15 pounds and there's a handful of my vintage dresses that I tried on and I was like, oh, these don't fit anymore. But I'll, I'm not giving those up. <laughs> I'll, I'll hold on to them forever. Yeah. Until they maybe fit. Who knows? Um, okay. So I was really excited to talk to you. When you graduated at Drexel, what was your degree? Did you stick with fashion? Yeah. So stuck with fashion, graduated, um, got a, actually a menswear award during my senior thesis show, which I did. Oh. I did both men's and women's. Uh, very streetwear influenced mm-hmm. um, and actually did a lot of upcycling with that collection of like curtains and you know vintage denim that I repurposed into new you know into new silhouettes and all of that stuff so had kind of already been having those ties to like remaking old things yeah that just felt so natural it did, there was no political agenda at all it was just like okay was, yeah I can't find you know a distressed denim I'm not gonna make it out of raw denim because I'm not a factory. So how can I get that look? So that was yeah. kind of that was kind of the the end, you know, goal was to like get a used kind of feel for a lot of the stuff I did. Um, what was the name of your degree? 
So it was, I was a bachelor of science, a BS. Oh. Yep. That's it. Like nothing like fashion marketing, nothing like apparel fashion design. Fashion design. Fashion design. Oh, okay. Yep. Did you go to grad school? No, I didn't. I actually got offered a position um, at graduation with a company that I had interned with and started working, had like one week off and started working as an assistant designer, like from the jump, like right out of school. Nice, I mean, that's kind of the dream, right? I mean, the way that we've been told that you do this unpaid internship and it could lead to potential um, employment or et cetera, like. Yeah, that, mine did. Yeah, <laughs> that system actually worked for you. It did, yeah. I'm happy for you, because it was on, it probably was an unpaid internship while you were in college, right? Or did you get credit for it? I got credit for it. Um, the pay was, you know, $10 an hour or something like that. Okay, but, so like yeah. a touch of something. But it was it was definitely mostly for credit and experience and, you know, real world experience because yeah. the fashion program at Drexel, although it's super high intense um, art focused and design focused, like you didn't really learn a lot of business skills. And like even to this day, I still haven't taken, you know, a legit business course mm. at that level. So, so kind of coming out of that, you know, having an experience with a company was was really important. Uh, if you you know, if you wanted to work in corporate or you know, small business yeah. led companies. So, um, so you get this job, and how long did you stay at that job? Um, Sixteen and a half years. Oh God, this is the job. Okay, so Adrian, you know, I just left a job that I. I got this job and I thought this was gonna be like my forever job. So I've actually been really heartbroken and like really confused about what I wanted to do because I felt unhappy and I needed to change. Um, I thought I was gonna be like a 16 year lifer anyways. I only made it four Nobody point. does that these days. It's a, it's a very old school, old fashioned kind of a thing to stay yeah. at a company that long. Oh my God, you know? yeah. I can't believe you yeah. stayed at that company that long. Okay, so can you say the name of the company? Do you feel comfortable saying that? Yeah, so it was, um, at the time it was mother's work, but it's then evolved into destination maternity and it's it was a women's apparel for maternity and oh. it was local in Philadelphia. So I've seen shops like that, like motherhood shops and malls where it's like, you know, I've seen them, but I've never really gone into them. With you, I mean, I'm sure you're so eager because you wanted um, experience, but I don't think if I went into a program I would immediately be like, I want to make maternity clothes. Like, were you excited about the work or were you just like, I'm going to get a good year or two of experience to like grow? Yeah, the latter. It was okay. it was like, oh, two years tops and I'm going to move on, you know? Right. And what happened was this really interesting thing of, I just kind of kept moving and evolving within the company. So I started okay. out designing, you know, as an assistant, um, supporting a designer in the knitwear world, you know, and then moved on to learning to design denim and then okay. outerwear and then lingerie. So all of these really high technical different um, subcategories were kind of thrown at me as like a new challenge. And I kept growing and evolving. And mm -hmm. eventually I got promoted, um, you know, within the ranks, like to associate designer, designer. They moved me to a smaller more high-end brand called a pee in the pod. Oh, I know that one. That's probably the shop I saw in malls. Sorry, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and then eventually became the design director for that brand. And that was that was my role. That was my title for the last five years uh, with that company. 
Okay, so I'm going to ask a lot of dumb questions because A, you're my first apparel designer on the podcast, which is exciting, and B, I've literally never had any experience in that realm. So when you're like knitwear, lingerie, etc., like I think in my mind when I hear like designer, fashion designer, well, you say apparel designer. Now, is there a difference if I say apparel versus fashion? Like is there like some weird context there that I don't I don't know? No, I just think fashion design sounds like this weird dream thing that people have in their mind and it doesn't oh, yeah. sound serious. So apparel design, I guess, maybe tends to have a more, you know, lands in a more serious place. Yeah, like you're making everyday clothes for me. A lot of people I know in Philadelphia, or not Philadelphia, I'm here, um, but I live in Seattle. A lot of people design for Eddie Bauer there because Eddie Bauer is the big place close by. Um, and that I would say that that would feel more like saying you're an apparel designer there. Instead of like a fashion yeah, designer. Exactly. And yeah. so, you know, there's there were lots of tiers of, you know, the cat you know, the general assortment that we'd put together. Mm-hmm. Obviously basics everyone needs, but then there are, there's the top tier of like the more fashion pieces. And so mm. that involve more, you know, special design, prints, trims, all of that kind of stuff like that. So you know, there was there was a lot. There was a lot of moving pieces. Um, yeah. There were amazing skill sets that I learned. I learned how to work with, you know, in a corporation. So yeah, there it's like fairly large company, lots of different departments. Everybody kind of has r- different responsibilities. They overlap. Right. Um, I did a ton of traveling. Um, oh, with, that's fun with that company. Which really the traveling and the later in my career the more like concept driven part of it where i would come up with the whole you know do a lot of research in the markets and you know come up with the concepts and build decks and and do print direction for the team and you know lead lead a team of you know anywhere from six to twelve designers that was really my favorite part it was the travel and the concepts so that's kind of what kept me going but there's so much of corporate that is, you know, the the negative part of, you know, being in meetings all day and all of that, so. Um, I have so many, when you say things like build deck, I'm like, what do you mean by building a deck? Like, what does that even mean? So decks, I love <laughs> making decks. I still do it now for, what is that? For photo shoots that I do with Feast, I'll, I'll build a deck beforehand because it feels natural to kind of, pull together inspirational concepts, um, imagery that I gain inspiration from. And it's really kind of like, um, it's to communicate that, you know, what is the concept of, of this gonna be? And so it's it's doing research and pulling together imagery, really. Okay. So maybe building a deck could also be called like a mood board? <laughs> could be a mood board. Could okay, be, okay. Could be a pitch deck if it has a lot of information in it um, that right, you need right. to communicate to another party. Like it's it's like, you know, sometimes it's, yeah, it's lots of stuff. Okay. But I, I, I love it. it. I, I just, I love it because that's like the really creative part of it. Yeah, and I it's like assume. one thing, it's a PDF, you can send it, screenshot it. It's It's very accessible. Okay, so when you get hired, I didn't ask your age, and so I kind of want to rewind there because I feel like that's important for insight for this. How old were you? Do you remember how old you are when you got hired by them? Like when you got out of college? Um, Ballpark? Yeah, I guess uh, 22. Wow, right? that's right? young. Like 18, 
<laughs> She's like 18. I'm counting on my 19, fingers. 21. Yeah, you're like somewhere probably like 21, yeah. 22. Like 21, a, 22. Like straight to yep. under high school to undergrad. Yep. Um, do you remember what your starting pay was? Like, I do. Ooh, I do. Ooh. Can I ask? Yeah. So it's it was 35 grand. Okay. And this is in like nine, two, early aughts. Early aughts. Yeah. Okay. So that's like a pretty good amount of money then for a beginning person. It is. It it I definitely um so I actually got offered a position also at uh Urban, Urban Outfitters, which oh, yeah, is which the is other big it's kind fish of here. It, it is the big fish. Yeah. And the pay there wasn't nearly as as good starting out starting salary. So I actually right. made my decision really based on pay to kind of get started and like be on my own. I mean, I had to pay my way like I was living my life here in Philly and then although Philly is fairly cheap especially in the early aughts it was definitely a a decision that was based on the pay I have to yeah. say yeah so it was a little bit more there I mean I would have followed the money too um and so as you I'm also really interested about this hierarchy so as associate apparel designer is that the beginning Am I, did I get that assistant correct? then associate okay oh yeah. wow then senior Okay. Or then designer, then senior designer. Yep. Got it. So would you say assistant, then associate? As an assistant, you're like, what? Designing socks? Like, do you have to design, like, the weird, boring stuff? Or is it more minuscule than that? No, it's not really a lesser category. You're just doing the day-to-day is, you know, you're maybe not coming up with the design. You're you're supporting in other roles. So you're doing oh, okay. more paperwork, you're doing more sketching, you're doing program, you know, you're working in the programs. Like mm-hmm. within the company I worked in, this was also a, a really amazing um, advantage. We actually worked really closely with pattern makers and sewers um, to make fit samples and we fit them on models. Okay. And so a lot of companies just outsourced all of that and would send everything overseas and, you know, wait a few weeks and get a sample back. So yeah. that was um, an area of, of you know, the design world where I would was able to really craft a whole nother skill set that maybe I wouldn't have done at working at an, an, another place. Oh, that's kind of amazing that they kept it in. So you really, because I've had other friends that did design in certain aspects like jewelry or shoes and they talked about how they got to travel to China to go visit their factories or et cetera. So was everything that you guys, did you have Only factory? the first sample and then we would and send then, and then it would go to that second part of oh. production and yeah, and then it would be uh, factories. And so, yeah, yeah, we, I mean, we did have some domestic factories. We had some w- factories in LA we worked with and even mm-hmm. New Jersey, but the majority was um, the places I would travel to as a, you know, when I became a designer level were India, Hong Kong. Um, I went to Peru a few times, wow. Guata- Guatemala for denim. Um, and then, yeah, and then I would travel on inspiration trips and I would go to Europe and I would go to LA a few times a year, um, Miami, and, mm-hmm. and just do shopping trips for, you know, to gain inspiration and to buy fabric for samples for, um, or I'm sorry, for, for to, you know, look at what the fabric world was doing and innovations yeah. there. So, okay, talk to me more about these inspiration trips because that sounds. Yeah real fun when in your time your trajectory there did you start because I feel like those are kind of the things that you have to put your time in to get to be able to go do what level did you hit when they were like oh we're gonna send you on an inspiration trip 
It was pretty early, actually. Looking back, I was somehow, you know, lucky enough to start traveling for work in my mid-20s. Yeah. So I, you know, were I was going on these overseas trips. I was learning to work with factories. And, you know, that was a whole nother very um, special time because, you know, later in the 2000s there were a lot of companies that their budgets were being cut and so there there yeah. was a lot less travel happening so i i really did hit that special golden peak of like i would travel and i would travel as a young person and um you know be wildly in this like five star hotel in india with a butler and i was like 24 or something what? it was crazy it was some crazy times yeah um and that was all paid by the company exactly um and then yeah, I just I kind of love it's my favorite thing. Traveling, yeah, food, other you know, experiencing other cultures. That's it's so integral to me and who I am and what I love to do. So I would get to travel for work and then I would also get four paid vacation weeks a year mm-hmm. where I would travel, you know, just to kind of have those memories, to kind of keep going because yeah. it was, you know, the weeks were you know, I was doing some 60, 70 hour weeks in this job. So oh, yeah, yeah. I would have, I would need to have this special week off and go to, you know, Bali, Bali Lisbon or, you know, Morocco or wherever to kind of recharge, you know? Yeah. And so I was able to do a lot of traveling through my 20s and 30s. That's amazing and special. Um, you mentioned the hours that you were working. So were you from the get-go salary? I've never had a salaried job. So it's always something where I'm like, what exactly does that mean? Yeah, it's a safety net. You just, your check automatically comes. It you lands exactly what it's going to be. Yep. It lands in your bank account. Um, I had, you know, benefits. They were decent health benefits. Yeah. Um, but I always had that check and I always had the flow of money um it's very different from my lifestyle now but it was very comfortable and very consistent and that you know i knew what was coming what in. was coming in for years and years but i guess the question i had is that with salary i mean i think everybody most people can under make this assumption that salary the difference is is like it's not hourly and so you can be asked how do you know how many hours you have to work? Does the company say just like, you just have to get this done in this week, do however long it takes you, just get it done? Like, how do you make boundaries without being taken advantage of? Mm, that's a great question. Oh, okay. Um, that's yeah, what I worry I, about. I, I definitely felt taken advantage of. I, okay. I was, my boundaries were none. I was working all the time. Yeah. Um, I would work late. A lot of times I would, I wouldn't be able to get to my work and my, you know, my checklist until late in the day because I'd be in meetings throughout the day and like Uh, corporate life, fashion, um, business, you know, companies, it's just your meeting after meeting after meeting. It's, it's kind of crazy Mm. how much time is wasted in, in like that kind of world. So, so yeah, I would, I would just work as much as I needed to get my work done, but I also um, was a perfectionist and I had a really crazy work ethic. So I wouldn't just go home, you know, like a lot of Mm -hmm. people did. I would, I would stay really late and I would, I would uh, 
stay there until you got yeah. it done, which is probably why they loved you. Probably yeah. why they took advantage. <laughs> and you're also, I mean, come on. I didn't have boundaries. <laughs> I'm 30, I'm almost 37 and I still don't have good boundaries with work. So like, I can't imagine being 25 and understanding that you do need to say no at 45, 50 hours or et cetera. I'd have a hard time with that. Yeah, it was a learning curve. I definitely um, learned how to not be a perfectionist, learned how Mm. to delegate, which was my biggest thing that like a lot of bosses I had were like, okay, you're amazing, but you need to delegate. And so that was mm. something that i that i did figure out how to do and i and i did well like after a few years of of learning um yeah which i wouldn't have been able to do you know as an independent artist or you know working by myself so yeah. it really it gave me a lot of good skills that um were team oriented yeah um so we go from assistant to associate oh help me out what's the third one uh, designer and then senior designer. And how many years did you kind of, did you ever feel at a certain point where like, why haven't I gone up in the ranks? Or do you feel that your trajectory there was like pretty fair and like what you thought it would be? Yeah, it was it was pretty fair. It was pretty quick compared to some other people, I would say. Um, yeah. But again, like coming back to the categories that I designed, I, I, they they like to switch people around and i don't know why that was but that in looking back was such a positive for me because i learned how to do it all yeah. you know i designed dresses i designed um you know loungewear i worked with a lot of um we did a lot of collaborations with like famous people like heidi klum or you know oh so i i was the person who was put on those accounts and kind of in charge of the the like little collaboration line. So yeah. I definitely had a lot of roles that evolved and uh, kind of yeah. kept kept changing. Okay, so a maternity apparel company. What was your competition like? Because when I think of apparel, it's like there's tons of competition and but also so many different types of aesthetics and etc. But I don't know of like a lot of maternity places. Like the fact that you said a pee in a pod and I was like, oh, I know that, you know, that means it's kind of iconic because I can't name another yeah. maternity so line. The competition were really smaller businesses, smaller brands. Oh, okay. Um, but then also non-maternity. So there were a oh. lot of people that, you know, I'm just going to get away with wearing a different size or a different kind of styling. Like mm. there were there were trends in the fashion world that actually hurt us, you know, like a baby doll silhouette or something. So oh, right. So it definitely was really interesting to see how the company addressed um, what those competitions were. And sometimes, yeah, they weren't even other maternity brands, but it mm. was it was interesting and it, it did kind of like have this trickle down from Hollywood, you know, and from, you know, that kind of level too, where there would be some trends that were set and then we'd have to kind of figure out How, what our what our version was. Or your unique selling point to it yep. rather than just being specifically maternity. Okay, I've always wondered about this too. Trend forecasting, Yeah, I've heard the terms. Is this like something where like- It's a you, whole industry. There's a whole industry and you have to pay money for someone to, 
but like, how does that actually happen? Like, I think trend forecasting is, it confuses me so much. Can you give me like an insight as to what it actually is? Yeah, so I think every industry has their version of this. Um, and it's all on different timelines. So some okay. trend forecasting really has, you know, is two, three years out, you know, depends mm-hmm. on, you know, is it, you know, a kitchen surface? Is it like, you know, drapery, like whatever it is. But so for yeah. fashion, it was, I'd say two, probably two years out. And we would, as a company, buy <laughs> subscriptions to seasonal trend forecasters that we would work with. And, you know, even that we'd sometimes assess, like, is this the right one? Do we need to like hunt for a new one? And we would pay pretty big bucks for this, like, in the old days, it was like a book, you know, with color and mood and fabric research. And it would kind of lay it all out before you in these groups. Um, That world kind of evolved and died, I would say, later, you know, in the 2000s. And um it evolved to just being more accessible of information like that for free online. So these like old school, mm-hmm. dusty publications kind of like a lot of them went out of business. And so yeah. there was just an interesting evolution of that to kind of like look back on and say like, huh, like that industry definitely had to had to pivot really hard. Yeah, because I remember I'd, you know, I'd flip through like a Vogue and you'd see the fall campaigns and you'd see Prada and Gucci or et cetera. And there'd be like similarities amongst them. And I'm like, how is that happening? And that's that trend forecasting. Yeah, a bit of that and a bit of just like the designers themselves, you know, um, looking for inspiration and traveling. And maybe there's a big um, a big show in Paris. And like a lot of people got inspired by that, you know. Oh, like an art, like yeah, contemporary art it, show. Exactly, or exactly. Oh, so there, there were definitely some more cultural, I think, landmarks and events that maybe happen throughout time that people get inspired by and there were some similarities. But yeah, then there would be like Pantone announcing, you know, this is the color of the year. And so like, that's why you see a lot of this kind of like millennial pink for a number of years, you know? Oh, right, right, millennial pink. Yes, I do remember that. So at the height of your career there, um, can I ask what you were making? Like, I'm assuming everything that you've told me in my 20s, I would have been shocked to have been making or like to have benefits at that early age. So like, kudos to you. Did your friends, were your friends all like, oh, Adrian, our successful, hardworking friend? (laughs) (laughs) No, probably not like that. um, Yeah, I mean, it was was like a real healthy six-figure salary, you know, towards the, the end, the last five years. And living in Philly, that goes a long way. And it felt yeah. like it felt like I was pretty comfortable. Um, but at the same time, I was I was spending a lot and I had learned mm. to spend a lot based on the lifestyle I was living. And oh, yeah, like five star hotels and well, a little bit of the travel, but also yeah. the need to kind of keep showing up in the the coolest, newest thing. And so right. like I had to be on with with my own like closet had to just like be popping and so I had to I kind of spent a lot of money on my lifestyle and kind of like you know keeping that at the same pace as my career was growing 
Yeah, you um, need to look yeah. like the job. They you need, need to look the part, dress yeah. the part. Yeah. Oh wow! Do you have like a lot of your clothes from that time still just like hanging out? I sold a lot in the last few years. Um, yeah, Poshmark. But oh, yeah, but yeah, yeah, I definitely I was in. You know, I wasn't wealthy, so I was adapting to that fashion through like fast fashion companies, which mm. looking back is you know was a huge um was a huge negative really it's it's not yeah. like who I am now at all I changed so much in how I like how I present myself and what I wear and what my kind of uniform is but I I definitely lived in that world yeah. um and it it was basically because I was in that world and my career was involved with that so I know it's interesting as you're talking about this because and you did use the term uniform I would say you totally have a uniform and my friend Mallory Weston she also has a uniform she's known as like black skinny jeans boots and like a crop top all black blah 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 like she wore a long or like a short sleeve white t-shirt and everybody's jaws dropped um and I know you as like I just think I've only ever seen you in like black car hearts <laughs> I do have two pair um <laughs> So what yeah. would you describe your uniform as now? I feel like it's 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 evolved, but over the last few years of working, you know, working from home out of my studio and maybe also the COVID had a lot to do with it. I pared down to essentials and, you know, for a while there. I was always a big car, uh I was always a big blazer advocate. So Ooh, love a blazer. Love a blazer. Love a thrifted you know, I old, love a thrifted man, velvet blazer. Old man blazer. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so I've definitely acquired some of those to, you know, be part of my uniform. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the the uniform of late is is totally like the turtleneck, Carhartt, men's Carhartt workwear, classic, wide leg, you know, a yeah. boot or a croc. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> um and like a beanie in the winter, you know, and a whatever. So that's, it's and just easier. It's like, yeah, I get the, I get the idea of it now. And I was yeah. so anti-uniform growing up, you know, I was so like. Be eclectic and something different every day. Show your own identity through your outfit. And now, yeah. you know, now I show it through my jewelry. I was going to say, yeah. you didn't give a shout out to your accessories. Your accessories are <laughs> always so good. Which brings me to my next question. Like, I hit a point where, I mean, I also hit this point in the pandemic. I think a lot of people can probably relate, but just like burnt out and dissatisfied. But a big part of my wanting to leave my position was the schedule um, was not flexible and I just couldn't do it anymore. And I also didn't feel that I had growth potential that I wanted within the company, but it sounds like you got to like top dog. And that is, you know, I would have dreamt of that kind of position and also that salary girl. Wow. Um, so what made you want to transition out of that career? So, yeah, it was, um, looking back, I, I definitely, at that level, design director, like I couldn't really have gotten any further in that company at that level, but I wasn't really growing. You know, I was mm. kind of repeating season after season the the kind of formula that ha- I had figured out. And 
really didn't start growing until after I left that company. And and I know that because it was a painful growth and that's really what growth is. So yeah. I, I was just kind of like existing and doing the same thing for the last few years there and collecting a good salary, but also kind of not um, fulfilled and not creatively happy. Yeah. So when you left, can I ask why you left? Yeah, or so like how did that happen? Yeah, so they, the company um, eventually dissolved the brand and then kind of like transitioned. Um, and so they laid off basically the whole brand. So oh, I, okay. I did get a severance, which helped with what, you know, whatever transition I was going to do next. So yeah. financially, that was huge. Um, and then eventually I was able to collect unemployment um, later on, actually, in the pandemic. Oh. But I did transition into um, consulting. So I actually okay. started working for a company in uh, in New York, a small um, a small like junior like brand and was brought on there by a colleague that I knew and kind of worked there for a year and then was consulting with another company um, in San Francisco for yeah. for like the next year. So that that work was way different than what I was used to, but I really loved it and I felt yeah. like I felt very um, like I had a lot to bring to the table, you know, a lot yeah. of experience to share to a, with a small company. And that um, was great. And it was, you know, a few hours a week. And it was, um, for the most part, working from home and, and you know, going into to the company every now and then with New York. Or mm -hmm. I'd fly, I flew out to San Francisco three times, um, working with the team over there. But I, I really liked that. And I yeah. kind of liked, liked the balance of that. And then also at that same time, I was starting to be more serious with the jewelry and with Feast. Okay, so I'm so excited for you to hear it. It was interesting because when I did ask you to do this podcast, I just knew that you had had to transition from like a very solid career to something different, but I didn't know about the consulting part. And that's lovely to hear you talk about that because I am, you know, I left my position and I'm going to consulting gig. It's been really funny. I don't know if people did this to you where like, I think there's like memes or things where people are like, oh, if they say they're a consultant, they're unemployed. Um, I think it's like this like famous like Instagram. It's such a vague word. I, yeah. I mean, before I did it, I was like, what does that even mean? Like, I know. It's like, how do you, and even people that I'm telling, I'm like, oh, I'm going to transition to freelance. I'm going to start with like consulting and I do agree with you. I am really excited. I don't know. It's going to be very different, but also informed by my experience. And someone was like, well, why would someone pay you to become a consultant? Like, how do they, how do you know when you can be a consultant? Mm. And I was like, well, that's a great question. <laughs> and I was like, when you have the confidence to tell them that you have these assets and you can deliver on X, Y, and Z, and you know how to make it happen. It's all about experience, you know? And yeah. I have had a lot of experience and I honestly didn't even realize it until I was able to provide a new company with, you know, okay, like what, how does this team set up? Like even looking at structurally the company, but then also like giving recommendations of places to source and like 
how to develop something a little maybe differently than they were used to and streamline and all of that. So there's just, there's a lot that went into it and I felt very useful and I felt very, um, I felt like my confidence grew actually when I transitioned into that because I wasn't so taken for granted. Oh, wow. Nailing on. I, I really already feel that oh yeah you like mind like the tear yeah I really already feel that and not to say that I feel like I don't know I I didn't feel valued enough and I think no one leaves a job because they're like super excited about the dynamic and I think I just need to feel more valued and that's not saying that yeah, my employees we all didn't. need that it's you the know? best feeling yeah um that's a really great way to describe that even the person that i haven't even started the job yet just the way that she's like excited about me and talks about and kind of reiterates how much she wants to work with me and how much she believes in me i'm like yes keep saying that yes 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 because honestly i'm scared shitless right now like i'm like i can't believe i'm doing this did you ever feel that way like Oh, yeah. I mean, I was terrified. <laughs> I When I left, you know, 16 plus years of safety net and yeah. just knowing what I was doing every day and who I was working with, I was terrified. I didn't even, yeah. I didn't have a computer. I honestly didn't even have an email because I had, wow, 16 from, years. From the jump, like I had, you've been using all of my work stuff, right? So I had been right. like work email, work address, getting packages to work you know, using my printer in my office, I had to kind of build a whole, um, different lifestyle, a whole studio, like a whole office space really. And all of that. And kind of from the ground up, like I went out and bought a computer and was like, all right, I guess I'm going to be a Mac person now, even though I had never done it before. (laughs) That was terrifying. Yeah, that is terrifying. Okay. So real deal. I was like, you know, you hear about these consulting consultants and it's like, oh, they get paid X amount, tons of money per hour, blah, blah, blah. But like when you really, when I was researching how to price myself out as a consultant, because that's like a whole new ball mm. game. Oh, yeah. You have to think about, I found this, um, I Googled it, everybody. Uh, I researched and found an equation that was pretty vague, but basically it was like, think about how much you want to make a year. And I was like, okay, ideally out the bat, I would like to make $75,000 a year. And they're like, add on X amount for taxes, add on X amount for um, expenses. And then they were like, and then 15% for profits to put towards back into your business and blah, blah, blah. And it came out to like almost $100,000 a year that I need to make just to be able to have a $75,000 like take home salary. Right, right. Or et cetera, Um, which was kind of like mind boggling how much like it adds up. And then you divide that by how many hours you want to work in the year. And so you also have to think about, yo girl, you don't, you don't have PTO anymore. So how many weeks a year do you not want to have to work? And what is your ideal work week? And one thing for me, I I don't know if you thought about this. I've been burnt out because I work for a full-time day job, but then I also do podcasting and I also do all these other things on top of it. And I was like, I just want my work week to look like 40 hours a week tops. Um, And then you divide that and get your hourly. Hmm. How did you approach it? (laughs) You're looking at me like uh-huh. I just, you know, <laughs> grasped a number from out of the out of the sky. I did not do any of that math. Um, I definitely yeah. asked around to some other colleagues 
um, oh, who were doing do a similar consulting kind of path and said, you know, okay, what is what what do you ask for? What is a range? What because I definitely had a couple of different prices depending on what the projects were. Right. Um, and also if my time was in San Francisco or New York, like I would charge differently from like me just building a deck, you know, in my home office and then sending them like a bunch of, you know, work or designs, you know. Yeah. So it was a little bit less about holistically like building back from like a goal salary and it was more like what's in line with what are my contemporaries really getting which is good and I think for me I'm just so new at this that I don't even know who my contemporaries are like I I don't really know any it's so niche what I do that I was like I can't really find anybody to Mm. like talk to and confide in right now which shout out (laughs) looking for community I love community DM her E um but I do I do understand that idea of like taking into account who the client is and where they're located at and what the perceived value of like your skill set is from their perspective. Um, because a client, like a teeny tiny business in the Midwest versus like a mid sized company on a coast, they might be getting a higher bill than the mm-hmm. teeny tiny business in the Midwest. And it's also negotiated. So you might yeah. throw out a number that they're like, okay, we're, we're not exactly going to sign up for that but we'll give you this you know and if yeah. that's acceptable for you you know and it's it's kind of like a negotiating mm-hmm. um yeah you know, yeah i did do that i was i've been doing the social media management for a gallery the last year to supplement my income and that i did i paid somebody to consult them for an hour on social media management like what do you pay or what do you charge somebody to like post on their Instagram three times a week? And then she gave me her ideal number and then I negotiated on that with the gallery. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that's such a job that's like so many people are, you know, doing full-time, part-time, managing lots of brands. Yeah. And I'm sure there's such a wide range there based on experience and based on, you know, what the brand is and what they can afford. Yeah, and what they need. Yeah, and this person I like respect so incredibly much that I was like, Yep, do it for that, for sure. I'm getting so much out of it. Um, How did it feel? I mean, I'm assuming consulting wasn't hitting six figures right off the bat. No, because it was really part-time, you yeah. know? Um, so you decide to pivot to Back to Feast. Yeah, so I had actually been doing it low-key um, in probably 2017, I started like, oh, maybe, you know, I'm gonna make a couple new collections. Um, <clears throat> I'd been gathering materials forever. It's like I'm a hoarder at, you know, by nature. And so yeah. when I see something interesting, I'll pick it up, whether it's like metal, vintage, you know, whatever it is, kind of like interesting uh, materials. So I had been gathering things and, um, I've always made stuff, you know, for me, for my friends, you know, mm-hmm. for presents, for people, that kind of thing. So I don't know. It was it was this thing that was just kind of like always spinning in the back of my head. I had talked to close friends about it. They all were like, you need to start your own line and business. And I was terrified of that. I would yeah. never have been like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to start a brand ever. Right. And so it was this funny thing that happened where because of my time and because of a lot of other factors, but a lot of it led had to do with my creative juices just like 
needing to get out because yeah. I had been in this stagnant place for so long. Totally. Um, yeah, I kind of started it like behind my own back. <laughs> and like <laughs> that was the that was what worked for me because if yeah. I had been so conscious of it, you know, and you know, immediately made an LLC and said I was a brand. Like I didn't have that vocabulary in the beginning. It was yeah. it was very much something that I was in denial of and then kind of like grew to accept and be like, okay, no, I'm doing it. Like this is Yeah. This is real is a thing. It's real. Yeah. <laughs> did you do your own branding? Like did you yeah. Did, did, yeah. Was that off the bat? Did you have branding off that like design off the bat? I mean I I it's it's just a font that I drew myself and scanned, and that became my logo. Um, Love that! I didn't know that. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I had it. I had it cleaned up a little, you know, last year, and got business cards and got a little bit more formal. But yeah, I went through an evolution of like a very DIY uh, business card in the beginning, and DIY tags and kind of everything, um, and then slowly, you know. Each like season kind of like updated it, got a little bit more professional, got, you know, got legal, got on the books, all that stuff like yeah. over the last three years. You know, I've been watching that show Julia on HBO about Julia Child. And there's a scene with her father where she's like really overwhelmed about writing her cooking show and her scripts for like 25 episodes. And her dad's like, Julia, how did I build blah, blah, blah. And she's like, board by board. And how did we build blah, blah, blah. Brick by brick. And she, so he's like, good yeah. accent. He's like, do it, you know, measuring cup by measuring cup. And I think that's kind of it. I think a lot of people, I can really identify like this that if I also would have been like, I'm launching perceived value and it's going to be this thing, never would have done it. Yeah. I was like, it's terrifying to, to kind of put it that way to yeah. someone who's, you know, you just have maybe to get one not, thing done. Yeah. I think more of maybe a creative who isn't so business-minded side because that's yeah. the scary part it's it's running the business that's oh, yeah. that I was so unprepared for and didn't have you know the skills to kind of like have all at once in the beginning that evolved but um but the creative side you know was always there and so yeah. you know pretending it wasn't real was really my way of growing it and being um being brave about it to to really kind of have it evolve yeah um okay so how many years have you been doing feast full-time now when were you what year were you let like the company or the brand dissolved um 2000 my corporate job yeah what year that did was, the brand dissolve that was 2018 oh goodness that's not that yeah. long ago no not not long ago so so that happened and really, my identity was really wrapped up in that. Oh, so, of course, that's 16 years of your life. Yeah, so I kind of had to figure out who I was at the core, you know, who, how I identified myself, like just like meeting new people. I'd always say like, I'm the design director, you know, like that was yeah. my spiel. So, so kind of like once that was stripped away, I had to kind of figure out myself again. And I went on this, <laughs> journey magical journey um literally i went on a trek through the andes mountains um because of a good friend who like had this connection through this like women's trekking group in out of brooklyn and it that trip really did change my life it's so cliche but it really kind of 
um, gave me a new awakening of like how I could see myself and where I could go. I mean, that's why cliches are cliches, right? Because that's what they do. You know, I need to have that. Maybe I need, I'm not much of a hiker. I did get trekking poles though for Christmas because my (laughs) friends are really getting into hiking. I'm a very uh, resistant outdoorsy person but you it, it know. could be it could be a non-outdoor journey oh yeah true could be a non-outdoor journey um i love that for you thank you it really um i credit so much to that time in my life and that transition and i really feel like it was you know i i couldn't like it was it was more than that eight days Obviously, yeah. it was well, yeah, a couple of years. Are, yeah, transitions are huge. If I had to, you know, isolate it down to like a huge change, that was that was really that was really it, and it was really kind of magical. And I love um, kind of remembering it and sharing that. Yeah, I wish our society talked more about transitions. Like, I had someone gift me a book on transitions when my father passed away. And I've gone through so many transitions in my life that have been like physically, emotionally, um, professionally. I mean, that's why I was like, well, I want to talk about it more because I don't think we give enough space to that aspect of our lives or we don't acknowledge it enough or like tender enough with ourselves about that. Well, because they're messy. So it's like, you know, same thing with grief. We don't get enough space for that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's true. And I think that's a very American cultural thing oh, that we yeah. don't we don't go near it because it's it's not perfect and wrapped up in a bow oh yeah I'm super messy right now I mean look at my body I like gained 15 pounds because I'm like in the middle of a transition and I'm not saying that's bad it's just like my own body is like whoa dude we're overwhelmed we're just gonna like hoard right now and just get like really comfortable and I'm like that's fine do what I gotta do um, yeah it's it's wanting to be in a comfort zone yeah 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 we need to wrap up, but I do have a few more questions that I want to like definitely get in here. First of all, financially, how you doing? So I, I live a, a completely different lifestyle now. <laughs> Not the six-figure lifestyle. <laughs> Not the six-figure lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, quite a bit less. Um, but I am, you know, I just learned to live on less, which is a great learning experience that I had. I didn't think I could do it. I didn't think I could ever not buy as much as I was buying. But once I stopped and I couldn't, I realized that I can and I love it. And I love paring down my lifestyle and having special dinners out be special and not like, you know, I was going out six nights a week before and um, burning the candle at all seven ends. So it's just, it's, it's just learning how to live in a different way. And it's been a it's been a learning curve. It's it's challenging. I, I miss a lot of things like being able to go on trips as much. Yeah, that's kind of the biggest one. I go on like little weekend things here and there, or, like yeah, road yeah. trips. But you know, I'm not flying somewhere and spending five grand like I used to in a week. And yeah, it's just it's a different lifestyle. But um, you know, it might change again. Who knows? So I'm. It's just like adapting to this and. That's a big challenge of mine in general is just like adapting to the new and not being stuck on what I thought it was going to be. So do you think you're happier now? Yeah, I do. (laughs) 
Yeah. I do because I think that it's a struggle. It's more of um, me that's pushing myself forward and creatively, you know, I, I kind of have no limits and I've been, you know, doing a lot of new projects lately that I'm really excited about um, and collaborations and just like pushing myself further. And um, yeah, that, that creatively makes me happy. So there are, there are parts of your life that you kind of maybe mourn. And I feel like there's, that's true for me, but then also the, the unknown is where the magic is. And that's like a quote that my friend just gave me the other day. Oh, that's a good one. Um, my last question, any advice for somebody who's in that like very early, I'm totally terrified. Did I make the right decision? Oh my God, what am I doing phase? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think it's just like, enjoy the ride. Trick, you know, a little bit of that trickery, like I was talking about earlier, where it's like maybe subconsciously ease into something. So, like, if say you have a side hustle and you're really like wanting to make that your more your focus, maybe transition into that slower than you'd, you know, maybe don't quit your job just yet and do a little bit of both, or maybe that's not right for you and you do need to leap into it and like leap off the cliff and kind of like that's going to be the way that you grow and you really push yourself. So it's kind of maybe different for everyone. But for me, it was, um, it was kind of like I didn't realize it until I was living it. Oh, yeah. Well, my ultimate dream is to be a full-time podcaster. And, you know, my last day at my job was May 1st. We're recording this on like, what's the date today? May 16th. And in these like last two weeks, I've recorded and podcasted more than I have in the last five months. So yeah, immerse yourself in it. I think that's like what you're doing and you're, yeah, you're finding really that it's like, feels really good. Thank you so much for talking about your transition with me because I feel, you know, money is a very vulnerable subject, but also talking about big life changes and especially when they maybe are not expected um, is also a very vulnerable subject. So thank you so much. That means a lot to me. Yeah, it was, it was uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I feel uncomfortable right now. <laughs> but I'm so. so glad that, you know, yeah. w- a little bit of what I share maybe could affect someone. And that's certainly why I listen to podcasts for like a little insight from someone else's world. So oh, that's a really wonderful thing to say. Let's end on that note. Perfect. We're going to go have some burgers and some natural wine (laughs) at one of my favorite Philly spots because I'm leaving Philly for a little while. So shout out Fountain Porter. Shout out to Fountain Porter, uh, where when I first began Perceived Value, I would it's right by my studio. I'd go there and sit at the bar by myself and write out my introductions um, and became very good friends with the bar back there because of it. Kyle. Very cool. Shout out to Kyle. All right, everyone. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. I hope we stay in touch through, oh, we through your journey and my continued journey. Yeah, I might call you crying a few times. I'll also call you some like triumphs too. Don't worry. I'll fill you in on the good and the bad. Love it. Yeah. We're going to be friends, just so you know. <laughs> Already decided. All right, everyone. This has been another episode of Perceived Value, the podcast broaching the subject of value and transitions with artists, creatives, anyone trying to make a buck off of their creativity. 
As always, thank you for listening. Perceived Value is a podcast recorded and produced by me, Sarah Rachel Brown. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram as at Perceived Value. Stream us directly from our website at perceivedvaluedpodcast.com or listen on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Just don't forget to rate and review us. Thanks for listening.